Our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Samuel, chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. Now, we have been uh, studying together the life of King David, and uh, we pick up with him. He has been king for a while now, and he is actually uh, he's growing a little complacent. Um, his sort of... Um, his sort of days as a, as a warrior and conqueror um, are behind him. And uh, we join with him. He's, uh, he's become complacent, kind of lazy. And he has everything he could possibly want. And he uh, goes up on his roof one evening. And he sees the one thing that he can't have. And the rest, as they say, is history. So, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. Hear now the word of our Lord. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the words of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You dig it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. This is the word of God. It finds its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. So, what is this story about? 
What is this story about? Right now, I'm channeling my high school English teacher uh, who would always ask, what is this story about? Right. Um, she would uh, she would assign some uh, some reading, some short story. Um, uh, and overnight, we're supposed to all read it. And when we got back into class, um, uh, it, it was like roulette. Is she going to call on you? Right. Did you read it? And uh, and she would call on some poor person in the back of the room and she would say, all right, what is this story about? Now, if they had read it, they would always answer something like, it's about a man who wakes up and discovers he's a cockroach, right? Or whatever the story, right? And then she would say, no, that's what happened. What is the story about? Right? Because there's a difference between the plot, what happened, and the meaning, the theme, the metaphor, that, that, that elusive, what is this about? And in English class, it's never about what you think it's about, right? There's always like a deeper meaning, right? And you have to uh, sort of read the English teacher's mind to figure out what the story is about. Not what happened. What is it about? So our passage this morning, what is it about? Everyone knows what happened. Right? I think the story of David and Bathsheba is one of those, one of those few Bible stories that everyone kind of sort of knows, right? Whether they go to church or not, or not, it's like Joan and the whale. It's just kind of up there. Everyone, everyone kind of knows it. And so everyone kind of knows what happens, but what is it about? Maybe you first encountered the story in Sunday school. Um, and you know all the beat by beat, the play by play. You know the plot. I first encountered the story in the Veggie Tales, and the Veggie Tales tell it very differently than, than, than what we just read. In the Veggie Tales, there's a, there's a cucumber named King George, and he's got a closet full of rubber duckies. And he, uh, he's surveying his kingdom, and he sees uh, Junior Asparagus, uh, this poor little you know, shepherd, only has one little rubber ducky. And, uh, and he has that rubber ducky sent for him. This is one of those stories that we tend to trot out when powerful men have affairs, don't we? We say, well, God forgave King David. My memory is long enough to have heard this argument on both sides of the aisle. Well, God forgave David. That's what happened. But I would submit to you that that's not what this story is about. In order to really understand what this story is about, I think we have to come to terms with what really happened. It's worse than you remember. See, if you back up a chapter and and you read the beat by beat, the play by play, the first thing we're told about, uh, about King David is that this happened in the springtime when kings went off. Of war. And David's own kingdom was at war. Uh, there was a, uh, they were uh, uh, laying siege to a, uh, a, a, a town called Rabbah that belonged to the Ammonites. And most kings 
are supposed to be sort of uh, uh, the, the, the general in chief. They're supposed to be out there uh, leading the fight. And David is back in the palace. His general Joab is taking care of the fighting for him. See, David was once a warrior. David was, uh, was famous for, uh, for, for leading people in battle. But he's not slaying a giant lately. He's getting a little fat and lazy. And we know this because we're told that uh, he woke up from his nap in the early evening. You can just picture him, can't you, with this goblet of wine. He's up from his nap. He's, uh, he's wandering on the rooftop, sort of surveying his kingdom. He looks and he sees the woman bathing. It's worse than you remember because he calls someone, one of his servants, and says, who is that? And the servant says, oh, that's Bathsheba, your servant Uriah's wife. See, David knows exactly what he is doing. It's worse than you remember. This Throughout the history of art and, um, and a thousand sermons, um, Bathsheba has sort of been uh, rendered classically as the great temptress, right? That, that, that she somehow seduced David. Um, but if you actually look at the story, that's not what we see at all. See, Bathsheba is just home one day and a knock comes on her door. She opens the door and there are two guards. The guards bring her to the king's palace. They bring her to the king's quarters and then they shut the door. This poor peasant girl and the king of Israel. And I ask you, what kind of meaningful consent could she possibly give. If we're not talking about rape, we're talking about something awfully close. It's worse than you remember. Because a little time passes and Bathsheba realizes she's pregnant. And she sends word to the king. And the king's first instinct is to cover his tracks. The king's first instinct is to pretend that the child isn't his. His first instinct is to let that, that child grow up in poverty, never knowing that, that, that he is the true heir to the throne of Israel, never knowing that, that, that he is the rightful king, that he is a prince. So he calls Uriah home from the war, gets him drunk, and says, now go home, spend a little time with your wife. That's his plan, right? The only problem is that Uriah is too good of a boy scout. He says, how could I possibly go home and, and spend time with my wife when, 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 when my brothers uh, aren't able to spend time with their wives? They're still on the front lines. I couldn't possibly do it. How, how could I, I sleep in my own bed when the ark of God is in a tent? I couldn't do it. 
And so David, realizing that, that he's, he's, not, he's not able to, to cover his tracks, decides to have Uriah killed. He writes a letter to his general, Joab. says, here's what I want you to do. I want you uh, to, to, to charge where the fighting is fiercest. And then I want everyone to fall back except for Uriah the Hittite. He writes that letter and he folds it, then he seals it and get this. He hands it to Uriah and says, give this to Joab when you get back. Makes him carry his own death warrant. Now, if, uh, if, if Joab has any sort of um, qualms about this, if he has any sort of pangs of conscience, we don't hear about it. He follows the orders to the letter. They uh, make a very ill-advised play. And they charge where, where the fighting is fiercest, and then they fall back, and a lot of people die, and among them is Uriah the Hittite. And then Joab tells one of the messengers, you need to go tell the king what happened. He's going to be angry that he lost so many people. And when his anger starts to burn against you, here's what I want you to say. Furthermore, Uriah the Hittite is dead. So the messenger goes to the king. He says, this terrible thing has happened. Uh, we, we, we charged in where the fighting was fiercest, and a lot of people died. And the king's anger starts to build, right? He's starting, you know, he's, he's going to take the man to task. And then he says, furthermore, Uriah the Hittite is dead. And then David says, well, I understand. That's what happens in war. In other words, God got to crack some eggs to make omelets. It's worse than you remember. Because when Bathsheba hears that her husband has died, she mourns. And the word we're using here for mourning is not like wearing black and, and showing up at the ceremony. It's this word sabad that means uh, beating your breast and wailing. She's deep in mourning for the love of her life. And David waits seven days. The bare minimum. One week. Then another knock comes at Bathsheba's door. It's the guards again. They bring her to the palace. And this time there's a wedding ceremony waiting on her. It's worse than you remember. That's what happened. What is this about? I'm not trying to make you feel like you're back in your 11th grade English class, right? I know that was frustrating for a lot of people. I was actually pretty good at it because I just made this covenant early on. It's about whatever the English teacher says it's about, right? And I'm going to put that on the test and, and move on with my life. But, uh, but, you know, a lot of my friends had trouble with this, right? Because cause they would raise their hand and they say, well, it's about a man who wakes up and it's a cockroach. And she'd say, no, no, it's about alienation, it's about uh, the immigrant experience in the 20th century. Uh, uh, it's about uh, assimilation in industrial society. Okay? 
kind of seems like it's about a guy that wakes up and he's a cockroach. I'm not trying to give you flashbacks to 11th grade English. And if you're one of those people that has trouble with metaphors, it's okay. Because David was really lousy at metaphors too. Because here's what happens. Nathan shows up and, and he's got a little short story for King David. He's got a little parable, a, a, little, uh, a little symbolism for him to decode. And, and David's hung up on the details, but he has no idea what the story is about. Right? And it's not subtle either, right? You know, this is, uh, this is not Kafka. This is, this, is, uh, this is a really easy parable to decode. It says, listen, in your kingdom, there's a very rich man. One would say the most powerful man in the entire kingdom. And then there was a really poor man. And this really powerful man had all of these lambs, right? Countless lambs, all the lambs he could ever need. But his servant only had one lamb, a lamb that he loved. It was like family to him that he shared a bed with. Well, the really rich, really powerful man stole his servant's lamb. Right over David's he gets angry. He thinks this is something that has happened in his kingdom somewhere. And, and, and he's devising ways to make it right. Add to his, 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 his growing list of sins. Now he's flunking Hebrew literature. Right? He has, he has no idea what is going on. And here's the thing. It is not like David is bad at metaphors. We know from the Bible that David is a skilled poet. Can you think of a more enduring metaphor from the ancient world than the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? Can you think of a, a metaphor that has stood the test of time like that? David shouldn't be in the back of the class, you know, scratching his head. David should be at the front of the class with his hand raised because he knows the answer. And yet, it, it, this is all blowing right over his head. Because David has so deluded himself. He has lied for so long and in so many ways that he can't see his own sin when it's staring him in the face. See, David can't accept that he's the villain of the story, that the story is about him. In fact, David makes up a new character, the character of the righteous king, right? The, the righteous king that's going to come in and set everything straight and make everything right. David can't, can't comprehend a story in which he is not the hero. He makes himself the hero when he is the villain of the story. You want to know what this story is about? It's about you 
and me. It's about us. Because, see, God has blessed us and blessed us and blessed us. And we still stand on the rooftop of all of our blessings and look for the one thing we can't have. Because we lie and we delude ourselves and we convince ourselves that we are the hero of our own story or maybe we're the victim, right? Maybe we're the lamb. Maybe we're the poor protophon that everything bad has, has always happened to, right? We're either the hero or the victim. We're never the villain in our story. We can't conceive of a story in which we are the sinner, in which we are, are, are the prodigal in need of forgiveness. Oh, maybe what we were once, right? Back in our 20s when we prayed the prayer. But nowadays, we're the hero. And see, when we do that, then the gospel is for somebody else. It's not for us. The good news is, is for someone that needs it. Not us. Just like David, we need the Word of God to point to each of us and to say, you are the one. You are the one this story is about. It's about you. This whole book is about you. Beginning to end is about you because you were the one that was made from the dust of the earth. Your father uh, molded you into the likeness of his image and then breathed into you the breath of life and put you in a garden with everything you could possibly want and need. And you were the one that looked at the tree, the one thing that you couldn't have and ate of the fruit. You were the one that was ruled by sin and jealousy. They couldn't stand uh, uh, your, your, your sibling being blessed in a way that you weren't, being recognized in a way that you weren't, and so you led them out into the field and you murdered them. That was you. You were the one that God led from captivity, led from bondage. That God rained down bread from heaven on and you complained. This is great, but wouldn't it be nice to have a little meat? You were the one that worshipped the golden calf. That wasn't anybody else. That was you. And you were the one that stood on that roof and surveyed the kingdom fixating on the one thing you couldn't have. You were the one that the prophets kept coming to, kept saying, don't, don't follow after other gods, kept saying, just treat your neighbor right. You can avoid catastrophe. You can avoid the coming judgment. If you just do what is right in God's eyes, the prophets came and you ignored them. And then you were led off in chains to Babylon. That was you. See, we like to cast ourselves as the hero of the story, don't we? We're the ark builders and the giant slayers and, and, and the disciples that left everything behind. And sometimes we are, but other times we're the pharaohs. We're the people grumbling in the wilderness. We're the idolaters. And dare I say it, 
the Pharisees. Because that was you too. You were the one that couldn't stand the words of the Galilean rabbi. That conspired with your friends to put an end to it. Had him condemned in a kangaroo court in the middle of the night. That was you. You were the one that sold your friend for 30 pieces of silver. You were the one that washed your hands of the whole mess. You denied him. You spit on him. You whipped him. All of that was you. You stood in the crowd and you yelled, crucify him. And until you come to terms with that, until you come to terms with, with the fact that given the chance you would drive the spike through the wrist of God, then the gospel has nothing to do with you. It's a cure for a disease you don't have. It's for somebody else. You are the one. The story of King Frederick the Great of Prussia, I've probably told this before. He's touring all of his, uh, his prison facilities. And as he's touring one of his prison facilities, uh, all the people are calling out from the cells, right? Because they, they hear that the, the, the king is touring the facility. And so they're all, you know, well, I didn't do it. I was framed because they know he can pardon, right? I didn't do it. I, I, I was framed. It wasn't me. I didn't do what they said I did. And the king has become so accustomed to hearing this from all the cells that when he passes one and he doesn't hear it, his interest is piqued. He passes this, 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 this dark cell and, and there, there's no uh, cry for pardon coming from it. And so he turns and looks into the cell and, 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 and sees this, this man just sitting in the shadows. He says, you there, don't you want to call out and plead your case to me? The man shakes his head and says, no. I did everything they said I did. I belong here. And the king looks at his guards and says, free this guilty man at once before he corrupts all the innocents. There's good news for us. There's good news for us. If we are willing to admit that we're the one, if we are willing to own up to our part, then the king offers pardon. You see, there is a righteous king in this story. There is a king that will come and, and dispense justice and make everything right. But that role doesn't belong to us. And there is a victim in this story. There is a lamb that shed blood for our sins. But it wasn't us. So in case you're really bad at metaphors, I'm going to lay it out for you. It's Jesus Christ. He is the righteous king. He is the lamb that was slain. He is the hero of the story. And he promises that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. When we make our confession, we make the space in our lives and in our hearts 
for his grace and forgiveness. So I have a question. Next week we're going to read a psalm that David wrote and we're going to talk about confession, but I just want you to think about this this week. What is your story about? Not what happened, right? All of us have a different what happened, right? Um, all the great things we did or, or all the people that wronged us. Everyone has a different what happened. What is your story about? Because I would submit to you there are really only two stories. There are really only two abouts. Either your story is a tragedy a cautionary tale about what happens when you, when you go after the one thing you can't have and, and, and you don't, you don't uh, own up to it and, and, and receive that forgiveness. It's either a tragedy or it's a gospel. It's the good news of the righteous king and the lamb who was slain. What is your story about? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.